Hey kids, this is Yoshi, and this episode of podcast is brought to you by Punk Apparel. Go to punk.co, that's punc.co, and enter promo code Yoshi, Y O S H I, in all caps, at the checkout for 15% off all items. Punk Apparel accepts all major currencies and offer free worldwide shipping. Go to punk.co, that's punc.co, and enter promo code Yoshi. You're listening to. Okay, everyone, thanks for listening to a new episode. I'm back, Alec Mar, and I'm here with Tony. I think by the time I release this episode, um, uh, I already released your episode, Tony. So thanks for doing it again. Mm-hmm. I'm here today with a very special person. Would you mind introducing uh, your grandmother? Of course. Uh, my grandma is, uh, is from Denmark. She's called uh, Vie, and she's uh, turning 90 this year. And uh, we talked a little bit about my uh, my grandpa in the, in, in the interview you did with me. Yes. Uh, about the uh, the experiences she had in Copenhagen uh, at the Royal Danish Ballet. And you thought it would be really nice to uh, to interview her about it and uh, to see where the conversation goes. So, uh, <laughs> well, well, thanks for doing it. And I, I have to say, when we were talking before recording, you have so many interesting stories. I mean, I could literally record you for twenty hours or more. Um, well, I don't know. Where, I don't even know where to begin. Um, what, what was it like growing up as a young uh, young girl? In Copenhagen, what was it like when you were a little kid? Uh, well, when I was little, I I had uh, a strange youth mm-hmm. because uh, my father and mother got me when they were very young. My father just had uh, gotten a job in South America, where he had only. Uh, leave for vacation once in five years and uh, my mother should uh, when when I was born he was not there and it was he was she was supposed to come and join him with me but at that time it took a month with a ship and I'm sure it wasn't at the safe as it is now no so she was afraid, so she didn't go. So uh, he got uh, an early leave and came back when I was nearly four to talk about that. And it didn't work, so they decided to split up. So she lived with his parents together with me for one and a half year, something like that. Well, if, if you don't mind, what, what did your father do in Latin America? What kind of business was that? He was uh, he had business uh, uh, training, and he was the Danish uh, um, man with a company, uh, a South American company, mm-hmm. and that um, had uh, export and import of uh, something. Cow cakes. Mm-hmm. I don't know some food. I think for I cows. See. 
Yeah, and it uh, well, mm -hmm. that was a good job then to okay. get, and he got it when he was just ready with his study. Anyway, so we lived with my grandparents, and then my mother met this man uh, who came from a circus dynasty. Yes, and um, well, they married. And uh, then I started living with him and my mother. And he started training me for circus uh, appearance. Um, because... W w were you the most popular kid in school then, back then? <laughs> because of No, I was not in school oh. then. Oh, okay. And um, at home he would learn, he would teach me to uh, handstand, you know, first against the wall and then free and when you can stand free you're 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 proud wow you can you can stand on your hands sure you know so it was just fun but what people don't realize if you can stand on your hands free you can stand on his hands free <laughs> yes he you just have to to be there he will balance you Anyway, with every uh, every uh, job he could get in circus, he got more pay. And he was basically a man who worked with horses. But he knew everything because he had grown up with, uh, with his parents. What, what was his name? Franz Brun. Okay. And then... He started teaching me to have a, an extra number to perform in the circus. And he, he taught me to work in solo trapeze because then he could offer two more, uh, two more performances. I see. And get more money. Right. You know, <clears throat> being a horseman uh, and so forth. So uh, when I was six, hardly six, going on six, let's say, they sent me that win in the winter, they sent me to a ballet school, a private ballet school, uh, because then I could dance a little and the act would be extended. I see. Because I could dance a little before I went up in the trapeze. And that is how, how it worked. And um, these people who had the private school were both ballet dancers, solo dancers at the Royal Opera House. So after this uh, three, four months, they had a performance and they taught me a solo I was supposed to do because I could remember very well. I see. And mm -hmm. my motor, motoric was good. Also, I had already uh, uh, performed in a circus with my solo trapeze. So, if people were sitting there looking, I didn't care. You so know? you were natural then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was natural to me. So this uh, teacher said to my mother, "You should let her try for the Royal Opera House entrance. The, you have to do a." a test, you know, and they have to 
see if you you can become a dancer. And my mother said, well, why? Um, she, she, she works in the circus and we are not really interested. So they said, well, if she's not taken this year, they will not take anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, so my mother was a little, uh, you know, tickled. Right. <laughs> and they gave her the papers she had to fill in, to send in for, yeah. so that I could join for the entrance examination. And coming, uh, I think it was in May, um, so I was just six years. I went there and I found it very easy. Well, well, what did they ask you to do today? <laughs> Nothing, mm -hmm. just skip, skip, mm -hmm. but in time with the music. Uh. See? the And... Um, they gave you a little story, they told you a little story, and you had to mime it. Such things. And we were, I think there were 300 girls and about 50 boys who wanted to enter. And I was taken two boys and three girls, and I was one of them. Wait, how many, how many did they take? 300. Okay. And they took three girls that year. They have it every year because they take children in and you, ha you have all your training there and your schooling also, your reading school also. It's all in the theater. And, um, but that's amazing that out of 300, just three. I mean, you're, yeah. just, you're 1%, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that is uh, because they don't test you too much on what you can do ballad-wise. Mm -hmm. They test you on the rhythm, if you have a feeling for music, if you can uh, mime. And, uh, well, this skipping was just... Uh, I thought, well, when, when are we going to dance? Mm -hmm. You know? <laughs> and um, then there's a doctor and a physiotherapist, and they look at your back, bone and and your proportion mm -hmm. and they look uh, at your feet of course you have to have strong feet and um, yeah you don't you don't have to have oh bind you know or something like that you have to be very uh, actually compact and strong yeah but I was strong because Working in the trapeze, you you get strong. Yeah, it is it is a, like a sport. And I was trained very young. Well, I got in, and then I started school there. And um, three months later, the English ballet came on guest performance, mm -hmm. and they took me and one girl more that they needed for their performance. And that was also because the other one was used, she was older than I, she was had already performed, and I was not afraid to perform. So that was my first appearance. At that time, 
the Royal Opera was in one house, in one theatre, with uh, opera and play, all three um, in one theatre. So if, if the opera needed children, like for instance in Carmen of La Boheme, they would ask to borrow the ballad children. I see. And the same was for plays. So I was also, I was just six when I performed in, uh, as, a, as a girl in um, uh, Shakespeare's um, A Summer Night's Dream. Okay. Did you perform in Carmen? Yeah. Isn't that a, doesn't it have a violent ending for her? Uh, yes, Carmen is a violent ending. But uh, the children, uh, I was not the only one. We were about, uh, I think, five, 15 or 20 children. I see. Um, we, we were in the first and the, in, and the last act then. I don't know how they do it now. Um, the soldiers come walking and uh, singing, walking into the... Uh, stage mm -hmm. and the children follow them also singing so we we were taught what to sing of course we were chosen also if we could sing well and then uh, well then you got the you got the, the job so you did so you do uh, there's a bit of acting there's dancing improv improv you also have to sing so you had to do a little bit of a lot of different yeah. things, yeah. Singing, dancing, play acting, which is also mime, of course. And um, I did all three, and I I I, play, I I worked in circus too. Oh, so you did you continue to do circus stuff too on the side? I had to. Oh. When when my my uh, when the other children from the ballet had vacation that was the circus season so i was asked i was not asked i was made to perform in the circus all summer so how many hours a day did you work <laughs> sometimes from six morning till uh, one o'clock night <laughs> what you, you know it's you can't get away with that sort of things now because there's so no. many laws, you know, but you're just a child. They had no laws then and now they have to have double for for one. If, if one gets a job, they have to have a double. We also had a double, but only if we, we were, were sick. But now they have because uh, they only have a certain amount of performances they are allowed to do sure. a year. Here in Holland it is six. I don't know in Denmark, but in, in Holland it is six times. So you have to have two or three children to perform in in a, in whatever. So you're literally working 18 to 19 hours a day? Yes, because circuses, they move in the summer. Ah. And if you if you have to move that day, 
you are up at six o'clock in the morning to move to the next place. And with set every, up everything. With everything. Everything is packed. The evening before, after the performance, which is from eight till 10, you help, everybody helps packing. So the children, they will pack the chairs in the loge or the plank where you sit on mm. or whatever. And they, they will carry it out to the, the van where it has to be stored and moved. So after everything is packed for the next morning, you eat. You never eat before your performance. So you eat at 12, 1 o'clock at night. And you must be exhausted by then. And, um, and I don't know. I didn't know any better. Wow. But you're a six or seven years old. But I never, I never had a vacation. Mm -hmm. And we had six weeks vacation because, uh, and that is uh, more than the normal schools. Because the, the authorities said, well, they have to, uh, to perform and uh, they, they have a long day because you train in the morning, nine o'clock, and uh, you, after your training, two hours, you go to normal school work and until half past five. So it's a working day. So they gave us longer vacation, which was good for the circus people. For me, <laughs> my my stepfather could just use it. But when you did the circus act, is it just only in Denmark, or did you travel other countries? No, only Denmark. And you had that much work, even for that small country. Yeah, they travel in all little towns uh, all summer. But again, I forgot. Most people probably didn't have TV back then, so this is that their their entertainment for that time I guess still uh, now in Scandinavia I think they have and mm. I think they have uh, maybe uh, in Norway Sweden and Denmark 10 circuses and not small ones is that right traveling I mean, yeah is, is this something about the Scandinavian I have a good friend who has the biggest he has several he invested in several circuses Wow, I, 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 I never realized it was that popular in Scandinavia. Yeah. Um, uh, you have something to say, Tony? No, not particularly. Oh, oh okay, okay. No, I, I do remember like going to Denmark with my uh, with my grandma and, uh, and and meeting the owner of the circus and getting privileged seats and everything. It's uh, quite special. Yeah, Benny. Yeah, he's, he uh, he started out taking a little, very little, tiny circus from his father. And uh, he built it out, and it is now the biggest in Scandinavia. And he has circuses also in uh, uh, in Germany. He bought up, and in Scandinavia, he that's big business. But what, was it like when you're performing with everyone, uh, you know, um, in a circus? You become just one big family then. You yeah. Might... Yeah. I'm sure there's like lion tamer or, you know, and the people yeah, who deal with bears. Everything. Um, everything. And so, valet, that must have been easier for you because circus must be a physically. It, it was easy. For you? Yeah, it was easy. And how and long? I, I loved it. 
And I, I didn't love circus that much. I have nothing against circus, but... Uh, it's just hard on a young girl. It, it was... No, it was that I had no, I never had vacation. I see. Uh, when I got older, I thought it was not... It was not... Uh, it was not nice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And uh, I didn't. You, I didn't get along very well with my stepfather, so that's another thing. So, so when you got older, you probably look back like you probably couldn't believe you were able to do what you did as a child. Because these days, you can't ask a child to do something like that. No, but these days, uh, children are much earlier into uh, real sport. Ah. I mean, they're younger and younger in uh, all kinds of sports. And uh, at that time, you wouldn't see a 12-year-old play tennis. Sure. No? Or doing fantastic things on the mat, uh, the free, uh, what is it called? Gymnastics. Gymnastics. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, now the trainers are more, they know, they know, uh, more the trainers how to get young children to do this for to sure. train them to train them they have the nutritionist they have a sports psychologist and you know, you know it's, it's such a specialized thing yeah and you guys call it football in america we call soccer but i'm amazed living here last two and a half months uh, real madrid uh, barcelona football clubs they would bring these kids from Brazil, Europe, or Argentina, like five or six, and they literally like live with them for the rest of their career, you know? And um, it's hard, I guess it's hard for me to relate. It's, it's business. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's big business. For sure. And I think uh -huh. a lot of the, the clubs nowadays realize as well that if they catch these kids early on, it won't cost that much money like if they if they buy a popular player for i don't know how many million euros or dollars i mean it's much more expensive than 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 to scout them really early and train them completely themselves i mean you hear stories about people paying 100 million dollars mm -hmm. to have opportunity to buy a player yeah. you know so I, I could understand so you did it so from six years until how old were you you continued circus i was I was nearly 18 when I left. Oh my God. So you didn't and have a childhood. I could have stayed on till my pension. I left when I was uh, 17 and a half. And that, uh, that was not my own choice. But it was because uh, my mother was ill very mm -hmm. often. She had chronic kidney uh, trouble. And um, my stepfather was not so nice, he didn't mm -hmm. care. So I was going to school, I was working in circus uh, at the same time. And in the theater, they, they were not supposed to know that I was performing outside the theater because it was not allowed. Right. And I couldn't stop and say I don't do it in the circus anymore because that they wouldn't earn that money yes and they had a contract and contract break cost even more money I see 
So I was in a dilemma. So I stopped going to school. In uh, I didn't go to the reading school anymore, but right. the training. So I stopped. And then I got a letter after a week. Uh, what was wrong? Why I didn't come to the theater? And I didn't answer. And then I got a letter. Uh, that I should uh, come with a doctor's, uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, that the doctor says I'm ill. Oh, doctor's note. Yeah, the doctor's yeah, note. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't do that. So I just left it. And I was taking care of my mother who mm -hmm. was sick. And uh, working at night in the circus, which was in a little place just outside Copenhagen, so okay. I could communicate by train. Well, anyway, um, so I got a letter that I had to come with my parents. Now, my grand, my uh, stepfather was not my parent. So my mother, when she got better, she went with me to the ballet master. He was a very nice guy, and I had no trouble in the theater at sure. all. And uh, but. He called us in, the two of us, and I was ashamed to tell where my mother was there what really was wrong. Yes. That I couldn't keep up both things. Yeah. Yeah. And that I was at the same time telling my, my, my ballet master that I was performing in the circus. So I, I just kept saying, I don't want anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't want anymore. So he gave me half a year dispension and said, okay, this is September. If you come back next next year in August, when the season starts, uh, it's okay. If you don't come, I take it that you have taken your leave. Mm -hmm. Well, that's how it happened. Because the next year in uh, August, we were in Oslo. I see. And this, this, Performing. It? Yes. Okay. Yeah. My my stepfather and me and my my half brother. So I didn't go back, which took so much out of me mm -hmm. that for twenty years I couldn't see a ballad. Because because this is something you love and you had a passion yeah. for yeah. and. Uh, Difficult family circumstance, yeah. you had to stop. Yeah. yeah. So I um, later I got a job uh, with a, da a group dancers mm -hmm. and traveled the world with them. And uh, then I met my husband, and uh, we married. And after my children were old enough to take care of themselves, mm -hmm. I started teaching here in Holland. And. Uh, I did that for a long, long time. Do you sometimes think what what would what kind of career you would you would have if if you, you would have stayed ballet? Not anymore. Not anymore. Mm -hmm. I have at one side I have put it behind me. Yeah. On the other side, not because I'm very up to date in everything that happens in the Danish ballet and also wherever. And I'm still part of uh, the family. We call the Danish ballad your family. Uh, 
because when I uh, had uh, when I taught ballet here mm-hmm. and had a school together with uh, two other people here in Alkmaar, I had uh, some uh, pupils and they had a seminar uh, about the Danish style mm-hmm. of dancing. And uh, I took three of my pupils with me to the seminar. So I met the ballet master and the younger generations being there with my pupils. And they had uh, a very bad uh, way of uh, taking movie, taking video of the what happened. So I said to the ballet master, that up there in the in the corner that uh, film a camera, that is not good because you see all the people from from high up, mm-hmm. and you don't see how high they jump, and uh, it is stationary. I said I do video all the time. I have had a video since it came out. And um, if you want to, I will take it because I know everything they do. Sure. Yeah, I knew the whole thing that they were teaching. So I knew exactly what to take and how. So they let me do that as the only one of uh, everybody who was there. And they got, of course, the tapes. And uh, so they proceeded next year also and asked me to come and take video of it. I see. <laughs> so I came back to the, and now I'm, I'm in there too. And still now in my old age, I go to the, they give seminars now in other countries too, and they do it in the summer in um, Biarritz. And uh, I, the last six years I have been down there. So when you, when you, when you film these um, performers, is, is that tape, videotape, you watch it to see how to Im- help them to improve their dancing skills? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They came from all over the world. I see. Americans, uh, Russians, you name it. Georgia, they come from all over the world to, to, uh, to learn the Bonneville system. That is a system that has uh, stayed for 300 years now and uh, in in Copenhagen because uh, at that time uh, the ballet master made a lot of ballads and they have been every year mm-hmm. uh, danced in Copenhagen and now they come from outside to learn that and to learn the school he made of his way of teaching I see and it is the only place you can you can teach you can learn it except uh, on the seminars. And uh, <clears throat> the ballet master uh, before the one that is now, mm-hmm. <coughs> he's traveling all over the world. Mm-hmm. And right now he's in China. I see. And um, they they. Uh, want to learn all these uh, old ballads. Now, um, you know this, I'm sure you know this. Traditionally, which countries 
are very competitive and good at ballet dance. And like my impression is like Russians seem like they're always good at that. Um, uh, they were always very good. Well, why, why is why Russians though? Why why are they so? I cannot answer that. And and, and there there. But in Denmark, uh, in Denmark, the training that they get in Denmark, that is this old system of Bonneville, and the new system of Vaganova. And in uh, in uh, Russia, they teach Vaganova. I don't know what system. that is. Sorry. No. That are different training systems. Ah, okay. mm -hmm. Yeah, like you have in sport, you also have different uh, trainings. Sure. But the Danish uh, training system makes very good male dancers. And right now, the ballet masters who were uh, world famous dancers. Uh, that came from Denmark um, are now teachers in um, in New York. Peter Martin okay. is a Dane. In Florida is a one. In uh, in in um, Canada is one. In uh, Australia there was one. I don't know who is there now. And so. They, it seemed that they have a special something in the training that builds up the fact that they can become foremost dancers. I see. Yeah. And, and is there a particular opera that's difficult for, like, is it Swan Lake? Is that one of the more difficult ones for the dancers to do? No. You have the basic. Okay. And if you are good in the basics, you, there is not something that is more uh, difficult, but everything is difficult mm -hmm. because it is only one moment. It is a live performance always. And that one time they dance that night or whatever, it is that moment. And you have to give 100% that moment. Sure. And it has to be perfect also for you to be a, a star. Yeah? That is... Dan ballad dancing is, I think, just as hard or even harder than top sport. You have to have to stamina. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to perform even if your feet hurt. Yeah, you have to do a certain thing perfect, uh, but you only have that one chance every time you do it. Sure. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, whenever I see them standing on on their just toes. Yeah. Yeah, and like in complete steel, and like I. When you see that, you you know they've done it for years yeah. for them to be yeah. that comfortable on stage like that, you know? Now, uh, that's true. Another thing is, when you see somebody turn, uh, mm -hmm. to do it perfect, you have to turn maybe eight times exactly in, in um, 
what is it called? In in balance, mm -hmm. exactly in balance. And then, if you are very a top dancer, you will turn at times. You will slow down a little before you have to stand. Sure. <clears throat> that that shows you that you manage your 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 performance. That you you manage your balance, you manage your turns, everything. The fact that you can turn eight times and not stand, but you can turn eight times, stand, and put your feet down. It's like perfect control over your muscles yeah. in your in your body and yeah. your your balance. Yeah. And at the same time, people could feel the emotion and passion you have for that role that you're playing, right? And yeah, uh, yeah you have to sense that. Um, I wasn't really familiar. I have friends um, living in New York City, and every once in a while they give me tickets, free shows. I, I go, and every time I see those production, it's it's pretty amazing, where the dancer, music, everything have to synchronize at the same time. Everything have to go perfect, and um, yeah. and at, at the same time, you you all have your thing. You have to dance, whether you are a soloist or you are in the company. And you know exactly what you have to do, that you learn. But you have to be together. The fact that you are dancing together, and you are in love with each other, or whatever in the in the story, has to jump over on the public. Yes. It's not only the dance; it is the whole performance that you have to deliver. Otherwise, it doesn't work. So, you're still uh, part of the organization. You help teach young people. Uh, yeah, I do my best. I don't teach anymore, but uh, I keep an eye on some people, and I I try to help them. And are, are they still? Uh, it, it must be fun to see young people enthusiastic about something that you yeah. used to do. Yeah, yeah. Do Do you see more non? Is there is this more international performance? Is there do you see people from all over the world? Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, what, what's your impression? Is there certain countries that are getting better at it? I know Europeans I, dominate. Yeah, well, I I can only say uh, my for me at this moment the very best ballet. Is the London Covent Garden? Is that what? Why, why is that? Why, why do they do so much? Because every person in the company is just uh, almost perfect. Yeah. And the competition must be crazy. Yeah. Right. I mean. Yeah. 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 You're competing with the whole world, rest of the world, basically. You are. Yeah. Um. But you didn't dance. Did you dance during World War Two, or was it? Uh... I I no uh, no actually not because um, that was I went away from the theater. I see. Just when the war had started. So you were doing circus during World War Two. Yeah. yeah. Well, what what was that like doing circus during World War Two? 
the people need that um, because they they were yeah they need some uh, escape it, right it was uh, it was difficult to get uh, artists because many artists before the war came from germany circus that is a sort of variety program mm -hmm. you have jugglers you have uh, um, magicians yeah. and you have acrobats and you have air, air mm -hmm. acts and so forth and um, uh, that was difficult and um, even though I remember that we didn't have any Germans because uh, the men were taken in to be soldiers and then such an act just fall apart but we have Czechoslovakians and Italians and uh, Greek and from the Balkans uh, so we so. Oh wow. Yeah. And Scandinavia of course uh, and Danish acts, Norwegian acts. So you did that throughout World War II in uh, Denmark yeah. and, and Norway? Yeah. And oh boy, was it like, I mean, what, what, what was it like living through World War II? It, it, it's, you just concentrate on your work or? I must tell you something. And if you work in a variety, mm -hmm. in a theater, you don't actually have time for uh, leisure uh, relations with people outside. You go in the morning to uh, to train your body. You have uh, you you have to iron your 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 costumes. You have to tie uh, down. At that time, you didn't go and buy everything new if and sure. throw away. You, you know, there were, and you had to eat, you had to go to the market to get something to eat, and uh, you had to cook. And you didn't actually see many people outside the theater. So you, you don't even... And where you lived. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you didn't really have time to even be depressed, or you just, you don't, you didn't have the time to do that. No. You were just constantly working. I cannot remember I have been depressed because there was no space for it. I see. I I wonder now where so many people are depressed and it is because they have space. And they have too much they time. Have, they, yeah. And to they have too much point. Yeah. And I, I think before we start recording, you were also telling me that the Denmark was only country in Scandinavia. The king actually stayed in, in, in yeah. Denmark. And um, he was enormously popular person, you, you were yeah. saying. Yeah. Why, why, didn't, why, why didn't the king leave like the Swedish and he, Norwegian kings? No, the, the Sweden kings didn't leave because he... Oh, that's right. They had a good relationship with Germany. Yeah, he was uh, Sweden was neutral, so he could stay. But the Norwegian king went, and uh, here, the Dutch, the Belgium—I don't know—they all went to England. I see. But the Danish king said no. He wanted to stay with his people, and uh, 
That must have been we great. Have, we appreciate, appreciated it very much. Sure. He stayed yeah. and suffered like everyone else in Denmark. Yeah. And he, um, they, they couldn't get around him somehow. Uh, of course, he had nothing to say. Mm -hmm. They had taken everything, the radio and, you know, the gas station and the electricity and you name it, all, all the things you need to make a, a country turn. But uh, he was there. But you, you didn't you didn't see like Nazi soldiers walking around downtown Copenhagen or anything like that. Of course, you saw them. Oh, you, you did see them. Oh. Yeah, he he would take a ride every morning on his on his horse, without guard. He would he would take his round that he used to do. So you've seen you you probably seen the king yourself. Wow. Yeah. Oh wow, that's so. Fun. When the king came uh, came on his horse. Mm -hmm. The people, uh, the Danish people, just they they just stay, mm -hmm. and they they can sh do this and he wave will, at him. Yeah, he will do that too. And um, when he uh, is near you, you will just make make a little bow. That's all. And you could literally talk to him if, if you. Could oh say, yeah, wow. he came back backside in the theater, and he talked to us children too. If we were standing on the on the on the backstage to mm -hmm. go on stage, and he would come from his loge and he would come down and he would walk around there. And I'm sorry, I, I forgot what was the name of the king at, the, at that back then. Christian Ten. Ah. Christian the Tent. We have in Denmark Christian and Frederick. Christian and Frederick. They just go back and forth between the two. Yeah. And he was 10, and his son was Frederick Ninth, and so forth. I see. Yeah. Um, so, um, I, I think you were also telling me that, that, uh, that they didn't have a lot of Jewish people in Copenhagen, but they did, the king, people were helping them to get out people of there. People were helping them. Uh, you can read about that on, on Google. Sure. Um, and I mean, I have read somewhere that very few people uh, got caught because a couple of maybe weeks before, it was known that it was coming. And the Danish people took care of the Jewish. Uh, and there is a not a joke, what is it, a saying Yes. that the Germans, they had to come and talk with the king about their plans. And that the king said to them, uh, they asked him something about the, da the Danish Jews. Mm -hmm. And he answered, it is also on, on, on the internet, um, he answered, there are no Danish Jews, there are only Danish people. That was his answer. Yes. And uh, so they they kind of knew ahead of time and they got nearly everybody over to Sweden. He's, he's, he seemed like a, just a great man. I mean, yeah, yeah, he was. A very, very well uh, liked by, by the Danes. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, the last four or five years, I've, I've traveled most of the Scandinavian Nordic countries. I think only one I haven't been is Iceland. But um, I, I have to say, out of all the groups, the Danes have the greatest wicked sense of humor. And to most, um, you know, I guess Americans, I guess most Americans can't tell the difference. But for me, coming here for uh, last 10, 11 years, um, I could tell the difference, you know. And I think there's a little bit of teasing going on between, you know, Swedes who make fun of Danes, Danes who make fun of Swedish people. But why, why are the Danes are so uh, good uh, when it comes to sense of humor? And they really believe in free speech. I mean, Danes really believe in free speech. Um, comes natural. I can only say it comes natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't make a big thing out of something. It all comes very natural. I see. Fun. And we don't. We don't really also go overboard like, mm. for instance, the Dutch people can do. Uh, extremes. You you won't find extremes in Denmark. So it's, it comes into my mind now, but I think that's a that's a truth. Because I, I was in Copenhagen uh, about a month ago. Uh, am I saying this right, uh, Tony? Uh, Christiania. Yeah. Yeah, I I went. Yeah, Christiania is. Yeah, and I I met uh, uh, people there, and I I love the fact that the Danish people, at least people in Copenhagen, consider drugs as health problem, and they they they're uh, pragmatic. They're trying to help people with health problem, unlike Sweden and USA, they think it's a moral problem. So they want to put people with drug addiction problem into jail, which doesn't help them at all, and. Mike, um, there's a gentleman named Michael uh, Olson. He uh, he started this program where he would drive his van throughout Copenhagen, pick up a heroin addict, and there's also a doctor or nurse in the van. He would provide a safe place for addicts to use their drugs because if you don't, they could have overdose in some place there because they're shame and they're hiding someplace, you know. And um, Michael also started this program where. Addicts could sell this magazine called Illegal. This, this is the magazine. Each magazine they sell, addict could, addicts could keep forty percent and spend, turn around, spend the money on drugs. And no one, no one in Denmark saying drugs are good for you. But if you're going to do it, we want to put you in a safer environment. And the crime has dropped in Copenhagen area. And even police will privately say, we much rather deal with real crime than trying to put addicts in jail. And uh, I, I I really admire that the Danish people are such a pragmatic and smart uh, way of dealing with problems, you know. And yeah. And and Denmark's uh, last ten years always ranked the happiest country in the whole world. Yeah, you, yeah. 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 Well, you see, they pay a lot of tax. Yes, most Scandinavian countries. Yeah. More than we pay here. Is oh is that yeah oh, yeah okay, but. <coughs> If you in Denmark, you can go to the library. It doesn't cost anything. Mm-hmm. Here, you have to become a member. Cost you money. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. You you can many many things in Denmark is 
free mm-hmm. because they pay more tax. tax. And the tax is invested in whatever they pay for. Sure. Yeah? And my experience here, I have mm-hmm. been living here now for what, 60 years. Um, they talk and they talk and they talk and then I talk again. Yeah, that sounds about right for the Dutch. Yeah. And things doesn't happen mm-hmm. only by talking. You actually have to do something yeah. about it. Now, well, uh, to compare with Denmark, if you come from for getting asylum in Denmark, okay, the first thing you have to do is to learn the Danish language. Mm-hmm. Yeah? But they help you to do that. And you don't have to pay for it. They help you and they help you get a job so that you can use the language. Sure. Yeah? In a factory or wh- wherever. Yeah? So, you don't get the same situation as here in Holland. They just come in and they uh, they are put in a, in a camp and they sit and wait in the camp till the papers come mm-hmm. or not. Yeah? Mostly not. But they sit here eight years, ten years, and nothing happened. Because they are still talking about how shall we do it. Right. Yeah? And that is with many things. So how come that a little country like Denmark, with uh, not so many people, we are three times as much here, no? or double, double here. I think Denmark is around five Seven. million. Yeah. And, and Sweden's like nine. Yeah. We have about 17 million. Yeah. Okay. Million, so it's, yeah. it's quite a bit bigger. Yeah. You would say so many people, something is possible to be done. Yeah. Yeah. We have a train where they have worked on the rails and cannot still get it done from the transport from England to Germany through to Holland. No? The Betuwe line? It's called the famous Betuwe line. Yeah, it's the Betuwe line. conversation about Dutch politics. Twelve years they talk about it. <laughs> and and in that in time, the, it grows. It, it costs more and more and more yeah. and more to do. In Denmark, the last 10, 15 years, they have built a bridge from Zealand to, to, to Fyn. They have built a bridge from Zealand uh, to Malmö, yes. to, to Sweden. And now they are already uh, not only talking, but preparing to build a bridge to Germany. Food garden. How is it possible? You see, I, I think, how is it possible? It costs money. Everything costs money. And here they always talk about money. Mm-hmm. But nothing happens. Another thing is, Denmark is the foremost country with wind energy. Wind energy. Yes. I think they have about 30% of their energy coming yeah. from, from sustainable sources. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. They don't talk about. They build it. Uh, I don't know how many uh, miles out in the in the 
in the North Sea. But they also build it in Copenhagen out in the in the Eurozone. I see. Yeah. Nobody they just do it. Yeah. Here it takes our view on the horizon, they say. So nothing happens. Yeah. Do you know how many how many parties there are in the in the politics system in Denmark? Uh I think I think about eight. Because okay, in the Netherlands, I think one of the problems is is that we have so many yeah. and everybody yeah. has their seat in the government and everybody can raise a question or basically block something from happening. Yeah. And they have to make coalition, right? Exactly, yeah. which is making it more difficult to rule and make decisions. So I think that's a good thing yeah. in Denmark that there's not yeah. as many. Yeah, I, I know. Too. I know in Italy, one of the reasons why they have so many um, parties because mm -hmm. they're afraid if you have too few mm -hmm. they don't want to have the same problem like Mussolini taking control of it but the problem is other extreme when you have too much parties you can't get anything done because you exactly. end up just arguing with each other you yeah. know so mm -hmm. that's a tough one I'm from USA we only have two parties mm -hmm. really we have some marginal third party but they I, really I think have you no, could use a third <laughs> yeah um, you you live long enough so you probably have opinion on this and and this is something I think People in states were still trying to figure out what to do, and um, when the Danish cartoonist drew a picture of uh, Prophet Muhammad, you know, I think I think most Western civilization was shocked that there was threat to the cartoonist. So, when, when you first heard about this news, what what was your reaction? None, because being a Dane, I think that he should be able to do that. Absolutely. And I think that uh, all the other people in other countries they shouldn't uh, they shouldn't react on such a thing. Yes. And of course now uh, everything is in a point, and uh, of course you have then uh, the the Muslim uh, some Muslim that will go in and make a big deal out of that. Sure. No? But who cares? It is that is also a moment. It's a moment in the world. It is a moment. Uh, it is done to make such a big thing out of it. Yeah, I, I can I cannot understand that. I I think if I remember right, and this is incident in states too. They they had the cartoon. It was a little bit afterward. Some mullah trying to create problems, you know, because when it was released, it, it was just, it was a cartoon in a newspaper. It only started when I think some uh, mullah in the, uh, in, in Muslim countries, like, noticed that that was mm -hmm. published in the paper and made a big deal out of it and sort of st started creating a little bit of an uprising or problems with it. And and it because they have agenda, it's, it's an opportunity for them to put their name out there. And uh, this is, it's a power thing, I, I believe, because I, I just think most, I mean, I've been to Afghanistan. I, I met most regular people. They're just too busy taking care of their family. They don't have time for this nonsense, you know. But um, I'm, I'm glad that the Danish government allowed this person to be free and do whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, the whole point of free speech is is free. Yeah. You, you, when they try to silence uh, uh, that Danish cartoonist, 
they're trying to take right away from others who want to see that cartoon, you know. So I I I, I commend them for doing that. Um, um, when did you do? Do you think still there's tension in in Netherlands as well with Muslims, or do do you think this is not really a problem? Or because I know Theo van Gogh was murdered, I don't know, six seven years ago. Um, I I I really think that everybody on this world ball should be able to live as he like. Yes. And to to live as he like and to believe what he wants. Mm -hmm. And I don't I don't look down on anybody. Sure. Because of creed or whatever. Uh, maybe because I have traveled so much, I don't know, but I know that many people are afraid that we get too many Muslim people here, uh, according to Crete. Yes. Yeah. I see it, um, I don't know, I see it like if it is so, and the Muslim become uh, the foremost in Holland or the dominant religion. The, the dominant yeah. religion in, in in Europe, yeah. So what? Mm -hmm. I mean, then we are in the minority. So what? I. Half the world is Muslim, but I, but I I think in Europe I think your opinions a minority I think I I think there's a lot of people of, I, I'm I think a lot of people are afraid yeah that, and and that they will lose that freedom of of their own beliefs sure if, if Muslim religions t uh, like become the majority Be because when when I'm in Scandinavia and um, in Netherlands. I'm almost surprised when people say like, well, why don't you move here? And I always tell them, well, I don't speak Danish, I don't speak Swedish, I don't speak Dutch. And they will always tell me, well, you speak English, that's, that shouldn't be a problem. But when I meet some of my uh, Muslim friends, um, they're always been told that you need to speak the language, um, either Dutch or Danish or whatnot. I think when they tell me that I'm okay because I speak English, when you speak English, like I was telling your grandson, I don't know if there's such thing as an uh, Arabic word for feminism or do you know what I mean? Like, I think if you speak English, you probably think more liberal minded that you, you're comfortable with. Uh, Maybe if your native language is, is English, you mean, or, or yeah, yeah. if you understand English in general and if you're like good enough to understand and read in English. and You have yeah, certain yeah. Western civilization thought yeah, your world and idea. is a little bit more broader if you yeah. understand English, that's for sure. And I, I haven't. Uh, I want to tell you about the Danish uh, Crete. Mm -hmm. Do you know that everybody that is born in Denmark is Lutheran? Did you know that? Yeah. You are because a king once upon a time uh, became Lutheran. Uh, do you call it Lutheran in English? Yeah, Protestant, Luther, Protestant. Yeah. Martin Luther with the whole yeah, yeah. Yeah. Reformation, yeah. yeah. Uh, 
he became Lutheran, and so he said, from now on, everybody who is born is Lutheran. In Denmark, yes. Denmark. Whether you are, uh, you are christened or not, yeah? Yes. It is just for the whole country. If you want to change to another creed, you yeah. can do it whenever you want. Yes. Yeah? That makes all the difference. People go not specific to, I know my family, specific to a, a church because it is Lutheran or mm -hmm. because it is uh, their creed. They go, for instance, because they want to hear the priest or they want to, 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 to join a Christmas ceremony yes. or whatever, yeah? Um, I have the uh, experience that here in Holland, years ago when I came here to Holland, they would look, look upon somebody who married outside their creed before built a girl from a Christian um, Lutheran marrying a boy from a, a Catholic. Yes. That was not done. Wow, so it was scandalous that, back that then? That was not done. The parents wouldn't, would probably say, no, we don't allow it. And or, they, or, or they have to convert to one of the other religion. Yeah. 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 That is, that is uh, very different. In, in Crete, we are also free in Denmark. And here we are not really. There are, uh, the minority is Catholic, I think, in Holland. No, the minority, the majority, the major, the, the most. The most is probably... The uh, most is... Uh, Protestant. No, the most is Catholic, I think, in, in Holland. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And we have two, that's another thing, we have two Catholic parties in the, in the, in our uh, regering. Yeah, in the government. In the government. Um, the biggest two parties are Catholic parties. That is non-insistent in Denmark. Interesting. I never realized, I, I just assumed it was more pro Lutheran or Protestant over here. No. No. no? Um, who is that um, anti-immigrant politician, Garrick, or uh, uh, you know who I'm talking about? He, uh, the, uh, the Dutch politician, he, he's, um, he does all those funny right-wing commercials. Wilder? Yeah. yeah. What, what do you think about him? What do you think about him? Um. He's very popular with right-wingers in USA. I mean... I think it should not be allowed somehow to let him get so many people that he can form a party. Mm -hmm. But you don't have that in your head. People are not always wise. They they see Wilder as um, um, a way to get rid of the Muslims 
and that is that is impossible. It's 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 difficult now. I yeah. mean, they've been living here. I I think it's easier in America because we've been doing it for several hundred years. We bring so many people from around the world, and uh, um, the parents always, the first generation always have difficult time changing. But if you're talking second and third generation, those kids, you know, they they're American. They don't even speak their parents' language anymore, you know, and. Um, but it, it does seem like it's more difficult in Europe for these. It is more difficult uh, in Europe, but it is difficult in Holland because we are so many people here. Uh -huh. We are concentrated on such a little piece of land. Yes. See, in America, you don't have the influence of somebody who who had some creed in his crack, uh, his, uh, projecting. Uh, who lives in uh, Texas? Yeah. If you are uh, living in New York. Yes, it's I just mean, too big. It's, I mean. it's too big, mm -hmm. and here we are just crowded in all these millions. We are the second densest uh, uh, popularity popularity in in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I have to say, because you have such a generous social program. I, I read a book about the guy who ended up killing uh, Theo Van Gogh. Um, his problem was when he when he visited his family in Northern Africa, the uh, Muslim countries, in, people in that country tell him like, well, you're not really one of us. But when you live in Netherlands, they say, well, you're not really Dutch either. So he drives those people crazy because they don't really belong anywhere. And you have a very generous social program where he literally didn't have to get a job. So he has so much free time. He was searching the internet, reading radical Islam, Mullah, and things like that. So after a while, you know, he was brainwashed because he didn't have to. If you have a job, you don't have time to do these things. So uh, Theo Van Gogh, I don't know a lot about him, but he sounded like a provocateur. He liked really rough humor, and uh, yeah. and he was saying, "Let's be fair." He was saying bad things about everyone. Oh yeah, like he, he was saying was, bad things about everyone. About yeah, you know. He just really didn't didn't give a damn about anything. He yeah, he would speak his mind. And uh, in a free country, you should be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, this this uh, <coughs> this guy, I think he was Moroccan immigrant, but you know, he shot him and slit his throat. And um, Theo Bango's partner, business partner with I and her CLE. Are you familiar with her? Uh, she was, I believe, I think she's from Somalia. Ayan Hirsi Ali. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. I I I read her book. You know her book? Yes. About her life. Yes. Well, what amazing story for yeah. for because I think her father sent her to marry a, a, her cousin in Canada. She asked for amnesty in Netherlands. Not only did Dutch people give her amnesty, but opportunity to go to school and work. And she ran up. She became. She ran for office and she won. For I know, it sounds like a very successful story. But what do you think? What do you think about her uh, personally? I admire her. Okay, great. Because yeah. I've talked to other Dutch people, and some it's like half and half. Some of the people don't like her, causing problems. I admire her. Yeah. And I, 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 I think the fact that she went to America, and. That was a bad set from the Dutch government. Because mm -hmm. later they, they on, did, they didn't treat her right. Because I heard later on they said something like, 
maybe she didn't do something right where she's technically no longer a Dutch citizen. And um, yeah, I guess there's a little bit of backlash against her. But I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I really admire her for speaking up because um, I don't have I, 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 I don't have problem with Muslim people any more than I have problem with Catholics. As long as Catholic people are not molesting kids and abusing kids, and I don't have problem with Muslims if they're not beating women up, doing terrorist stuff, you know. I don't, as long as you're not doing any other stuff, I don't have a problem. But she is so brave to speaking up, and you know, um, I, I that that radical Islam stuff, I am concerned. I don't obviously know freedom loving people are afraid to say to, uh, against it, but. Spending here last two months, I, I noticed like white Europeans are afraid to criticize minorities. Do, do you, would you say that's a pretty fair assessment? I really don't know. Because I, I, I think because they don't want to be seen as a racist, so they don't say anything. So regular fair people, when they don't say anything. But the racism, I can only talk for myself. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I can only talk for myself, but yes. mm -hmm. in the whole in the whole world, people are people. Yes. People are living persons with feelings. Either you are black or brown or red or whatever. Yeah. We have the same bad moments sure. in life. And the same good feelings in life, yeah. So, I, I guess I I cannot be a realist. I cannot be a, I I cannot be against anybody. Yeah. When I when I see in the countries now where they fight. And, demolish all the, towns and, uh, the little people have nothing yes yeah like in syria for example yeah my heart cries my heart cries for the for the people that has three goats and a couple of hens and live of the account of their yeah. own things and that they must have such a life because of other people that cannot cannot uh, yeah, get along with get along yeah. with each other yeah then I, I it is as old as the world that there are always people that want more yeah and that goes for more land or more richness or whatever yeah and you cannot blame them because everybody wants to get better sure. in life but there are limits and i i i set the limit uh, at the feelings of a person the feelings of a person is the same for everybody yeah you can only you can only uh, direct it as something bad or something good, actually.
Yeah, I can say, uh, my neighbor, oh, she doesn't look nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I can also say, my neighbor is a nice neighbor. Yes, she's neat. Uh, she helps me if I need it. Yeah, it is. What do you project to other people? That's the whole life. And we all have to die sometime. Sure. Yeah. And, and then it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter how much how much you have. It doesn't actually matter. The, the moment you die, you have nothing. Yeah. Uh, you can you can see it in the history too. Napoleon, Caesar, uh, Hitler, they all wanted too much. They wanted the whole world. And they got nothing. Yeah, it's... Leo Leo Tolstoy, War and Peace, talk about that too, you know. And there was a scene in a book where basically looking down from the sky and of course, men look at Napoleon as a great man, but if you look from the sky, it's just a one speck of a whole humanity, you know. And um, yeah, it just seems like you you went through a lot, you know. Um, you saw the devastation of World War Two in Europe, and I'm sure when you travel, you you probably were now looking after sixty years afterward. You know, you, you have prosperity for most of the Europe, but I'm sure after during during the World War Two and right after it. I drove from Oslo to Madrid by car in December 45, just after the war. Yes. Because we had contracts in Madrid to work. Is this is this a circus work? Uh, no, no, that was uh, that, that was theater work. Ah, uh, okay. Um, and we we at that time we had been in Oslo for a year, and we went for a year to Madrid. We got the permission to drive through the three zones of the of Germany, the American, the English, and the French zone. I see to go to from Denmark to uh, Amsterdam and then from Amsterdam south. At that time there was no highways. Yeah, remember that? Yeah. Because it makes a difference. You had to go through all towns. There was no uh, highway going around the towns. And you seen cities just blown up to pieces. I have seen Hamburg and Bremen where they had fought to the Americans and the United, um, <clears throat> where everything was demolished. There was not one house. It was, there were people walking and you just thought, where do they come from and where do they go? Sure. <clears throat> yeah. I still don't know where they lived. And we had uh, gotten the permission to drive through within 24 hours. There was no stop, non-stop. 
but what you saw on it is impossible. Later, I have been to Hamburg many times, and uh, now you drive around it. But in the beginning, when I went to Denmark from here, I had to go through town, and I admire how fast they built it again. The Germans, yeah, yeah, everywhere yeah. in in Poland, Poland too, and I mean, you know, when 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 two forces are are moving in in a war situation and everything is just uh, demolished yeah uh, that is amazing I, I can't even imagine what berlin looked like i mean it must have been uh jeez I, i just can't even um, well when you when you stayed in madrid what was that like because franco was i mean general franco, yeah, was, franco in, was there so it was a police state basically When we when we arrived mm -hmm. on the same journey, when we arrived at the border, uh, France at Irun, France, and then into Spain, the French boycotted Spain because Franco still was in reign there. Yes, and <clears throat> they didn't want to stamp our our passports even though we showed we had a contract in a theater we had to go there so the, so the french at the french border were giving you a hard time okay yeah but they they let us they just gave us no uh, no uh, sign that we had crossed the border uh. in our pass and uh, we were a year in madrid and artists are non political i couldn't care if he lived there or not or he was there still or not that's none of my business sure and um, we worked in a big theater and then um afterwards when we had to go out we had trouble getting out because oh, they said you have you have no entrance where do you come from right <laughs> but um we didn't There was not a lot of military in the town in Madrid. There was not a lot of uh, things going on. Once a year, uh, he drove through the main street in his car with his uh, guard on horses behind. You mean General Franco? Yeah. Oh. And um, I lived above the theater in a artist pension. And um, uh, he, he, we had, uh, of course, uh, we, also, we just rented a room and the food we got two times a day in, in this uh, hostel or pension or whatever you would call it. I see. And um, so the, the lady who came and, uh, and cleaned, her name was Pilar. Her husband was in the in the. He was in uh, Fengsel. <laughs> he was uh, in uh, prison because he had uh, print. He was a, a, a school teacher, and at home he made a little uh, a little um, paper, and he distributed it and it was against Franco so he was in prison 
The same Pilar came and cleaned my room every day. And I have learned some Spanish from her by <laughs> trying to speak with her. And um, so she asked if she could see the Franco drive by from my window because I looked down on the main street. Well, I said, yes, of course, if she wants want to. Okay. <laughs> so, um, uh, the day where that happened, she came and I was standing next to her in the window. And when Franco came by, she, she screamed, Viva Franco. <laughs> so I looked at her because she had told me that her husband was in prison. Yeah. So I looked looked at her and said, how you 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 called Viva Franco? Yes, she said. I said, but your husband he said, but he is just dumb <laughs> because he has been two times in prison now. Yeah. So he should know better. <laughs> how do you find? I mean. Yeah. Well, at least you have a pretty good sense of humor yeah. Yeah. about it. I couldn't believe it. But she was screaming, Viva Franco. Who, who, who are some other big historical figures have you seen throughout your life? I, I know you saw the King of Denmark. You've seen Franco. Yeah, no, Franco, I just saw down on the, from the third floor. And the, the police came ahead and uh, took all our passes mm -hmm. uh, during during this parade and later we got it back but they did of course i think the whole street they uh, where they were where the, where the windows were out onto the street that they did that mm -hmm. i think so but uh, I have only seen him from far away, seen him from far away. I see. Yeah. Are you, um, I, I know uh, your grandson have to go to work soon, so we'll, we'll wrap it up. But um, are you pretty optimistic about the future for um, the Dutch and the Danish people and in Europe in general? Um, no, really not. Well, why is that? Huh? I'm divided. Because I think, I think everybody, and not only the Dutch, and uh, everybody in Europe and everybody in the world, is destroying the world by wanting so much. Yeah. <clears throat> by, by letting us be living with managers and programmers and all the people who tells us what we are supposed to do and i think we are we are we are using too much yeah of everything i, I think even the states I, I whenever i listen to someone who was even younger than me they feel like they're entitled like they have to have two cars or um I don't know. I, I think. Well, I think Americans we're notorious for that. We we consume more resource than any other countries of the world. And um, when you start running out of resource, people start fighting over it. And I, 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 you know, um, I I don't know. 
I don't know what to think, Tony. I mean, what do you think? You, because it, it, because you're young, younger, and, and do you think most young Dutch people are more optimistic or pessimistic? I, I think they're I think they're optimistic, optimistic, but they they don't see things very clearly. Because I agree with my grandma that we're yeah. That we're I mean, she, you live ninety years, so you yeah. see you see a bigger picture than uh, I even I you know we're. I, I think we I think we're we're. we're Missing things like like the very basics, like basic human interaction, mm-hmm. doing good towards each other, um, uh, giving people the ri- the right to say what they want to say or think what they want to think without sure. judging, and and realizing that you don't really need that much to be happy. Like if you if you have a roof above your head and you have not enough food and you have safety and you have a family, that that should be a lot of reasons. For you to be happy, and for most people, they don't realize uh, that's all they really need. Like they, they want more and more and more, and think they need the second car or uh, a third laptop or two televisions or uh, all these things that that are not really necessary. And I, I think, and this is one of the biggest reasons why I got along with your grandson is because um, the things that he was saying is obvious. It's it's a person who traveled a lot because. As great as America is, there's things that we could learn from overseas, you know, and vice versa. And, and um, um, I, I, I wish people are more cognizant of that, you know. And and when you don't travel, you don't know other groups of people. People are too busy pointing finger at them, not knowing. And I think all you have to do is just talk to them, you know. And there's there's less of that. I think people are just afraid. Um, your grandson and I, we get really excited then talking about travel, going to different country, and we, we have no fear at all. And um, I, I think Americans are pretty bad about going overseas. I mean, they're just afraid. They just watch news and think everything things going to happen to you. I have had, I have still, I've had many friends in America. Mm-hmm. And at least one here good friends of mine. She came from Europe and married an American. Yes. And I have been visiting them many, many times. They would turn off the television, not off, but on another station. When the news had war or something happening, you know, where people could Killed, you know, they just close their eyes for everything that happened in the world. Anything that wasn't happening close to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, they didn't want to see it. They. We have a in Holland. We say it is not in my bed. (laughs) Yeah, but. You cannot close your eyes to the fact that we are using up the the forests. We are using up uh, everything by wanting so much choice. And we want so much choice because we are told to want it. Yeah. The marketing. Any, the marketing. Yeah. They play in on the people. And, and and I think it's hard when when young people see how rich and famous people are living. Like they want a piece of that too. And and 
when you when you look at places like China and India, man, they're they're just they they want to become middle class, and the middle class is not happy to be middle class. They want to be uh, mm-hmm. upper class, and it's just never ending. And what what I think a lot of people uh, who do watch the news and see all the the things that are happening in the world that they don't realize they actually have an influence over it. That like they, by the decisions they make every day, they have a, a, like a minute part of influence over how that happens like for example war over oil in syria the fact that we use so much oil and resources yeah. indirectly were involved like poverty in in third world countries uh, we want our cheap bananas and cheap tropical products we're involved we're, we're influencing that by making our daily decisions and it's something i'd like to uh, yeah, when I, you I get wish more people realize that that they actually ha- can have an influence sure. in their daily life how would you like it when you only had bananas and um, oranges at Christmas time. That is my youth. And that was a big treat for you. That was a big treat. And that was Christmas. I met quite a bit of um, Eastern Europeans and when they immigrated to the States, they used to tell me one of the treats they got was communist satellite countries in Latin America. Then when they get banana, like you were saying, it was a huge big deal for them, but boy, when you when you go to the big department rest stores in the states, it's just unbelievable how mm-hmm. much stuff is available. I mean, you have big stores here in Europe, but there's nothing compared to the states. I mean, it's unbelievable how many different kind of toilet papers and cereals <laughs> we have. You know, they really need the, that many kinds, yeah. Be, be, because. Um, even if you try to cut yourself from the rest of the world, something that happened in the Middle East is going to, definitely going to have an effect on us, just like vice versa, you know. And um, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what to say, but I, 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 um, I, I hope more of your grandson's generation from Europe will travel and make the world a better place. And I hope more Americans start traveling. And I, I um, Thank, thank, thank you for doing this. You know, it, it was a big thrill for me, and it, it was really fun to hear. I didn't know, I didn't know anything about the circus thing because your grandson didn't tell me. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, endless um, stories. Like I couldn't possibly tell you all the things. Yeah. yeah. How, how many languages do you speak, by the way? <laughs> you have to think about it. Same reaction I gave him. I, I didn't know. Like, uh, maybe ten. No, eight. I think. Eight. <laughs> I speak. I can manage in French. Mm-hmm. I speak English, German. I can manage in Spain, in Spanish. Uh, I can manage in Romanian, Danish, Norwegian, Dutch, Dutch. obviously. Dutch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Eight. Okay. Eight. Eight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's something else. Um, you know. We... And I can read them all. Oh, is that right? <laughs> Well, um, thank, thanks for, um, you know, I really appreciate it. And, you're welcome. Uh, I wish you success with what you're doing. Oh, thanks. This, this, it's, I, it, it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun for me. You know, it, it's, it's when I talk to people, their lives and like, you know, it's, it's, it's um, I don't have opportunity to live, in, live through your life and listen to you and I hope when, when some of my listeners listen to it, maybe they'll email me and tell me about uh, what they think about the show. But um, yeah, I hope uh, next time I come back, I would like to see you again when you're with your grandson. By then, you know, obviously it'll be released and uh, we could talk more. But 
Well, the, 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 what a, I, I, I can't, I, I, I hope, uh, I, have, I wanna do this, uh, you know, when you're 100 and 110 years old and, uh, you know. Um, Let's do it again. Yeah, do, do it again, but. <laughs> I promised my grandson to be, be 100. Yes. I'm doing my best. And everything points in that direction. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're mentally sharp. I mean, you're just uh, amazing, you know, you taking care of yourself, living by yourself, that's, that's amazing. And uh, hopefully next time when I come back, I want to talk with your friend because I think Tony was telling me your friend who survived in Indonesia during World War Two. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I'm, I have Japanese name, but I'm ethnically Korean. So most Chinese and Korean people are still angry about World War Two. But you hear very little of what happened to the Dutch people living in Asia at the time. And yeah, I would, I would love to talk to your friend when I come back. And uh, well, anyway, th thank you very much. And uh, thank uh, Via, thank you, Tony. And uh, um, thanks for listening to this episode. And uh, talk to you guys soon. Thanks. Bye.